thick and thin hoops where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nithin. What's good, Nithin? What's up, man? We are uh, four games into the finals. We recorded, I think the last time was a preview of what we were to expect. I said Nuggets in five. You said six. Neither of us expected a you know, a Denver team that was primed and ready to have a whole lot of trouble. It looks like, you know, so far through a week of play, we're, we're more or less um, on that track. Yeah, so far it's been playing out chalk, I would say. Game two, Miami stole. Game two spooked, spooked me a little bit there. Spooked a little, uh, but I think right now we'll, we'll see game five. I, realistically, though, I think it's either going to be five or six, and one of us will be right. Just a matter of the Heat can steal this one in Denver, but uh, but you know what? It's before we go into the the details. Have you found this series entertaining? Because that that there's a lot of discourse around: is this an entertaining series or not? Um, just I from have. a pure basketball perspective. So curious what you think so far. I have because I think, first of all, I think both teams play pretty different styles in terms of their offensive game plan the nuggets obviously everything through Jokic, the two-man game with murray the cutting etc heat it's just like all out air assault on the rim from every direction without reckless abandon and so it's a much different style and i think what's been interesting is even though i think uh you know at this point what is it three of the four games have actually all three of the nuggets wins have been double digits Aside from game four, there was some element of suspense down the stretch with about five to six minutes to go. I never thought the Nuggets were going to lose those particular games, but it felt close enough. It felt like enough of a battle. And we did. We have seen some you know, pretty historic performances, specifically game three with the you know, dual, dueling banjo, triple-double, 30-point, 10-10. and 10. So, yes, but I will say it's leaving me a little lacking in terms of the crowd energy. I think because the Miami crowd is so horrific. And even the Nuggets crowd, they've been electric. But I think the way that the stadium is designed, it doesn't feel like you can see as many of the fans with the TV view, if that makes sense. And so somewhat, every now and then, I got to catch myself and remind myself <laughs> that this is the finals and not like a random game in March. But other than that, I'm enjoying it. And I'm loving watching Jokic and Murray flourish on the big stage. I think overall, it's entertaining because, the, like you said, I think the clash of styles, that's always fun to watch. And you have a couple of stars, Jokic, Murray, who we have not seen on the stage. And so when you see them actually put up or shut up, it's great. I also think, though, I think a lot of the, the lack of it feeling that exciting, one is the presentation, absolutely. ESPN has botched this completely. It does not feel like the finals. Small things like the gold around the um, the score bug and... Yeah. You know, the big, I know we haven't had the big finals logo for a while now, but those little touches are gone. And you know, one other thing I think about Denver stadiums, they don't have the paint colored in. That's, and yeah. I hate it stadiums like that do that. It looks it like preseason. It looks like, it reminds me also of uh, the bubble. Mm. Because the bubble, everything was played on those like paintless uh Dude, it's courts. so funny you say that because I literally was thinking to myself, I was watching highlights or somebody from like game one or two. And I was like, oh, is this from the bubble? Because I'm, I like, I had a quick flashback and be yep. like, oh, this one, that's exactly what the court looks like. That's a good call. Yeah, so I think the presentation is definitely lacking. And ESPN having it is just, uh, I mean, I know that ABC has had it the whole time, but ESPN now it's become a, 
really just their show and they have not been good at their production for several years now. So I think a lot of the production, like, yeah, there's not enough like hype pregame, like bring everyone out, bring the stars out, have random interviews, like make it feel like the Super Bowl of our season. That's what it's supposed to be. And they're almost like making this, this subdued product that, you know, they go through the quick montage before the game starts of all the, you know, videos of former champions, Jordan, LeBron, bird, magic, whatever. But it's like, I want to see it. I want to feel it like something change yeah. up, Make it look different than a regular season game. Production-wise, it looks the exact same. It's rushed. They don't let anything breathe. And this is not a series that can stand on its own with, you know, if it's LeBron versus Curry, does that stuff matter as much? No. But given it's two teams that aren't hist- uh, historically there, yeah. But, you know, I think overall, though, it's been been pretty entertaining. I, I was in London, as you know, this last week. I know you're heading there this week. And yeah. I've, I was severe jet lag. So um, I'd be up, like, two to five most nights and so i try to tune in and catch the second half and on some stream um but yeah i think i think it's been pretty good i think miami miami's played decently they haven't played terribly but i think it's just a regression to the mean now everything's coming crashing back to the norm for that and i was gonna so for for scheduling purposes it worked out i guess okay given that i have a midweek trip now but Basically, I leave Monday night right as game five is tipping off. So I'm praying that the internet access is, is good enough, which lately it has been on some some flights. Some flights have been okay enough to stream, so I'm kind of hoping that I get lucky with this one. What are you flying? And then I... American. Yeah. International? It Yeah, maybe it's all pipe dream, and all I'm going to be able to do is check, like, Gamecast on my yeah, phone. Yeah, see, the, the hope is if you're, like, a local flight, sometimes they do the live TV Direct they're TV. not gonna do that they're yeah. not gonna have live tv yeah dude I, no, so when i went to india to last it. year i uh the bucks game was going on when i was flying i think and i was like oh that's fine i'll watch it i'll pay for the internet and stream it dude <laughs> you're gonna be refreshing game score <laughs> that which is the worst way to follow i mean i might as well turn it off at that point and check every like 45 minutes so anyway so if the nuggets lose which i do not expect them to do i know you mentioned miami could send this to six i think this one's over tomorrow night if they end up losing, then I will be home. I'll be back. It's going to be a short trip, so I'm flying back Thursday morning. So I'll oh, be wow. back Thursday night for game six. So it's going to be a quick trip. Like you said, I'm never going to get uh, oriented to the sleep. So I'm going to be super jet lagged, super messed up. But hopefully that means I'm back and ready to go for game six if it gets there. Um, to your point about the heat, I, I was thinking about how we were going to record this and like what we were going to say. And the biggest thing is, like, I don't really have much analysis because it's like the Heat, they're doing what they can. Like, this is who they are. They they, they generate good looks. They play really, really hard defensively. They're just not making the shots. Like, they didn't make them all season, and then they happen to in the playoffs. They're not making open looks, and they can't get enough stops because Denver's offense is just a machine. So when, I, when you say, like, okay, what's the adjustments? What are this? What are that? Like, Maybe like there's something that can happen. Jimmy Butler can go to another level, but granted, we haven't seen that from him in like a month. They just they they're doing what they can. This is who they are. It's not like they're playing poorly and there's a bunch of adjustments out there on the on the court. Like the Nuggets are flat out better at almost everything, and we're seeing that bear out over the seven game series, which is almost always how this goes. Yeah, there's nothing they could. I mean, they've tried a lot, right? You you yeah. can't take Jokic as dynamic as he is. You can't take away everything. He's going to score. He's going to pass. You can't make him. 
a lot of talk about him being they oh game two they won because they made him just a scorer. Uh, I think we saw this last game. He only had a few assists, but and didn't really score, and they still won. Um, there's the thought that hey, if you limit the role players and let just Jokic and Jamal Murray go off, hey, they did that in game three and they won. Um, if you say hey, let's focus on Jokic and Jamal Murray and let the role players go off, right? Send more blitzes at the the pick and roll, do all that, and let kind of roam off of KCP and Gordon. Well, game four, we saw that that backfired. And they got a lot of points off cuts. Gordon was dominant. Um, you you don't have their size is so big. It's hard for you to, you know, Miami a couple times has tried to match up with the size. You know, they started the series small, didn't work. Now they're playing love more. None of it's worked. Like they've they've played every play in their book essentially, and yep. the only thing that can possibly save them is they get some historic shooting again. Um, but all these guys have regressed to the mean. They've all kind of fallen back to earth. Vincent, Struess, Caleb Martin. <laughs> um, and yeah, so, like, yeah, it's like there's, I don't know I, what I, they can do at this point to, to win three in a row. Maybe one, but not three. And the recipe is there, basically, like game two, Vincent played really well. I think he had 23. Duncan Robinson had that huge third quarter. But against Boston, you were getting one to two of those games every single night, or at least the ones they won. Obviously they lost three straight in that series too. And this time you just hadn't gotten enough of them. And now it's over because they're not like Denver can't lose three straight. They're too good. They basically, they, this is the point in any series. And it's like a little bit, it's actually like a slow death, the most painful kind of death where you, where you see it on the floor. And actually the last time I remember seeing this in the finals was in the bubble where the heat, again, they were undermanned. You know, they didn't have Bam and Goran Dragic. Like, they were playing against the Lakers, and AD and LeBron were playing insane. Butler was also playing insane, but it just wasn't enough. And so, though they got into the series, they actually took it to six. At no point did you feel like the Heat were going to win that series. That's how I feel with this particular one, where I'm like, yeah, the Heat have played well at stretches. Even in game four, they cut it all the way down to, I think, five, right, Uh, in the fourth quarter when Jokic got in the foul trouble. And I was a little worried, I guess, if you know, rooting for the Nuggets, I suppose. So, but then Murray comes down, hits a three, back up to eight, and they never really push it further than that. So, that's just been the nature of how every game has gone. When the plays have been needed to be made, the Nuggets have made them. Um, Jamal Murray is having an all-time, really stuff of legends playoff series, and really whole playoff run. Um, I think he's the first player now in NBA history to have. 10 plus assists in his first four final games, finals games. He did 12 assists with zero turnovers, which is the third most all time in finals history. Like every night, either him or Jokic are setting some type of finals record or never seen before. And the heat just, you know, they needed Jimmy to be Hemi and he's not quite there uh, for whatever reason. And that's kind of all they have to, to, to rely on at this point. I just don't think you can count on, uh, you know, random, role player X to, to, to turn up that often uh, the rest of the way. Yeah. They, when you talk about the last series against Boston, they had Caleb Martin, at least consistent as the third guy, that entire series. And now Caleb Martin's just another guy. And so now you're rotating one guy at a time when they really need someone to be that consistent scorer on the floor. And um, the problem is, you know, love and Duncan Robinson, these guys all have their, you can't play them 30 minutes. They've got their weaknesses. They've got their limitations. So who's going to step up and give them that 25 to 30 minutes as a third option? They don't have anyone. 
And I, I think we should talk a little bit about Jimmy, though, because as good as he's been, I still and, – and I know Jimmy's value is not in just the scoring. It's all the things he does, uh, his defense, his passing. Um, he gets the offense going when it gets stuck. But I've been a little disappointed with him this series. And I, like I said, I think since the Buck series, he's not been that great. Now, he's had moments in the fourth quarter when they've needed him. Mm-hmm. But overall, I think he we think we ta- we started talking about how this guy, where does he rank? What's how will we look back on him? I'm starting to wonder, can he win can you win a championship with Jimmy Butler as your number one guy? I mean, look, the guy in the playoffs is averaging twenty seven, seven and six, right? That's almost a LeBron. Um, doing it on 48% shooting, 40 minutes a night, giving you two-way basketball. Has he tailed off a little bit? Yes. Could it be the ankle injury, potentially? Could it be that he's got a team of seven undrafted players and he's finally run out of gas after a pretty historic run where they were you know, the eighth seed and basically playing on the road to start every series? Yeah, that could also be a factor. So I never – I don't know because like – we had this conversation last week with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and like kind of what the ceiling was with them as your best players. I find it hard to believe that if you can take a team to the finals twice, you can come within one other missed three-pointer of a third trip to the finals. Is it so unrealistic to think you can win the finals? And this Heat team, I thought from the jump, like the beginning of the season was extremely flawed. They'd made no roster moves minus uh, losing P.J. Tucker. Kind of just assumed uh, step-up production from Caleb Martin, from... Struce, Vincent, they re-signed Oladipo, Tyler Hero, etc. And it looked bad all year. They had a negative point differential. They're obviously in the play-in, as everyone knows. So to me, it's like, did they give Jimmy the best weapons possible to also make a deep run? I, I, I don't know. And the fact that they did actually gives me more faith that a team that is structured similar to what most super teams look like, where he might be the best player, the second best player, but they have enough talent around him, I absolutely think could get there. Just because this one isn't there, just because he's not you know, turning into a Superman, which is not really his game, I don't know that that gives me as much worry. Because, um, like, like, what's different between this and, you know, like, would we say Devin Booker in 2021, they were up 2-0, lost that lead. Or, you know, 2022, Brown and Tatum were up 2-1, lost the lead. Like, who can be the best player on a title team then? We must not have seen it more than five guys. Yeah, I'm going a little first take here, and I'm not saying I believe this. I'm just asking the question because I, th- I think the difference between Jimmy and those guys is, look, he had a 56-point game against the Bucks, but yeah. that ceiling, the ceiling of 30, 40-point games, Booker can hit that quite often. Tatum can hit that quite often. And I feel like Jimmy gets a lot of credit for for flipping the switch, but in in, in a situation where your team is more limited like this one, I mean, we've seen guys like LeBron, like even if you're inefficient, you go and get your 35-40 and try to will yourself, your team into the game. And I still feel like he picks and chooses his moments. He's very good at that. But you can't afford to pick and choose when you're aggressive, when you're not. Um, so it's, look, he's been amazing this postseason. I don't want to take anything away from him. I just think that we, me, myself included, got carried away after that Buck series. And the reality is since then, He's been a little inconsistent. We saw this in the Knicks. The Celtics, he was good, but those last three or four games, he tailed off quite a bit. And he had a good game four, but I think the first three games, he's been a little bit up and down. So that's all I'm yeah. saying. Like For a guy that we wanted to give him all the flowers, I think he needs to, whether it's fair or not to ask of him, 
he needs to be a little bit more aggressive throughout the game. He does. And the fact that he can't, the fact that he isn't able to punish one-on-ones that are in his favor or anything else like that is one of the issues that has prevented him from being that guy and being a 25 to 30 points per game score in the regular season. Now, you know, does he have enough help? Like, would the series look a little different with Hero taking some of the pressure off of him? Maybe. Because they right now they have, like, no shot creation. Bam, who I crushed and, of course, has had a, you know, really, really good series for his standards. He's averaging 22 and 13. But Bam's offense is actually not good offense, if that makes sense. Like, it's a lot of – it's no free throws. It's no threes. It's a lot of, like, 8 to 12-foot jumpers. Some some putback dunks, some alley oops around the rim. Like he's playing aggressive and he's playing well, but that's not efficient offense if that's your primary go to. And he's their leading scorer right now. They need another shot creator, someone else who can get looks for himself and others. Hero would have been perfect. Now, would he have worked on defense? I don't know. But given that Duncan Robinson hasn't actually had a great series, it doesn't strike me as like Hero wouldn't have been able to help. I think a lot of people are saying that. Um, I think that they're just a guy or two short, which. You know, they fully understand. But let's say they, they made a trade and got like a Bradley Beal or Dame Lillard. I don't know that those are realistic targets, but at least one more guy who can still be, you know, if if Dame got traded, let's say, to this team, he would still be second best player behind Butler, in my opinion, maybe first on some nights. But that would be a guy that I think you could win a title with if you had him as the trio with Butler and Bam, because it gives you multiple options. I think right now you're missing efficient kind of modern NBA shot creation from this team they thought hero was going to be that he obviously broke his hand Uh, but even before that he's not quite on that level and i think that's where butler lacks and and frankly you know who else lacks there is Giannis. so it's not like you can't be now i'm not comparing butler to Giannis's ceiling but it's not like you can't be a title worthy lead dog if you don't have that gaping hole the bucks figured out a way to fill it and now that's miami's challenge this offseason yeah well bam this series has shot more Five more shot attempts than Jimmy Butler in I know. the same minutes. Playing. I know. And, and Bam is also a guy I've also roasted. I know you were hard on him. I've been hard on him for not being aggressive enough, and he's maybe too aggressive or not getting the, the best shots. He's 50% true shooting this series, which is, for a big man, terrible. It's anemic, yeah, I know. Um, and, like, I'm not going to – it's hard to go hard on him because he's also guarding Jokic on the other end, which is a brutal just back and forth. So, but, yeah, like, if he's your sh- – Think about that. If he's leading your team in field goal attempts and is shooting 50% true shooting percentage, like you're, like this is why their offensive rating is 110. They're averaging 97, 98 points a game this series. Like, that's not good offense. And, you know, then guys are not making open shots. Yeah. Um, um, anyone else you, in Miami, you know, now that we're on the topic of Miami at least? Uh, yeah, I think I Caleb mean, Martin's been disappointing. Obviously, I was I was the one after the last series, like, oh, maybe he, you know, he's finally tapping this potential at twenty seven. And I think what what it surprised me against Boston was the sh- the shooting, the shot creation. It was not the shooting because you know hot shooting streaks can always be dismissed. Mm-hmm. But for me, it was that he could get to his spots and score when, when the offense slowed down. He's not been that guy, and yeah. I think. Vincent and Struess, we knew, would rely a lot on their shooting. Duncan Robinson, same. But Martin, I think, to me, has been the most disappointing for them. Um, and everything else is yeah. kind of understandable. Like, you're not getting Yeah, I mean, look, yeah. I didn't know what to expect from Martin because it was a total out-of-body experience versus Boston. We compared him to a mixture of Kobe and T-Mac. 
<laughs> so it's not like we expected him to necessarily stay at that level, but I did think he was going to be a little bit more dynamic in this series. Now, Aaron Gordon has absolutely destroyed him. I mean, Aaron Gordon is putting on a, from a role player standpoint, one of the best series I think I've ever seen a role player play. Um, if that's what he is. Right. So I think it's just, it's, he was overmatched. Like they started him game one, they moved to Kevin Love in games two onwards, just because the matchup was too, too, uh, physically imposing for him versus Gordon. I think to me, I was actually going to be positive. Like Kyle Lowry has really pulled it back into the way back machine. Like, the fact that he was like basically left for dead and now averaging almost 30 minutes a game, shooting the ball. Well, Kevin loves played well again, like these guys are doing what they can. They're just not all collectively very good. And then you could say, well, I mean, they just beat the bucks and the Celtics who, you know, both of us said were the two betting favorites, right. Coming into the playoffs. I don't know how that happened. I will never be able to truly explain how the Miami heat as an eight seed are in the finals right now. But it feels like this is the law of uh, large numbers where eventually like you said, things start to regress to the mean. I think we're seeing that. Yeah, because no, like you said, no, it's not stuck out. Anyone playing particularly poorly, shooting fine, but it, it just seems like they're completely outmatched, outclassed, and and Denver's offense. You know, if we switch over to Denver, I think we know how good of an offense it is. But seeing them just kind of mm-hmm. that machine, and it seems like they're struggling in some of these games on offense, and they go through long stretches, but. They still, over the course of the series, I think would have had the second best offense in the NBA if you look at the regular season. So yeah, there which and, is crazy for a finals series where it's like tougher defense against a great defensive team. Yeah, and every team Miami played really struggled and slowed down. Miami's defense really mucked it up, and I think, um, and I, you know, let's start with Jokic. I think Jokic is finally getting credit for what he's been doing the last several years. And what I love is the fact that everyone's everyone's seeing his full arsenal on display. He's had the scoring games. He's had the passing. He's had the rebounding. Um, he hasn't had any spot so far this series where he's really shit the bed. I think last game was probably his worst in terms of he shot eight for 19. Um, mm-hmm. And that wasn't even a bad game. I think he had a great all-around game overall. And he had, he had foul trouble. Could not play a good chunk of that fourth quarter. Um, but what the other real value we're seeing in him is is everyone playing around this him bruce brown kcp gordon nuggets fans have known this all year but seeing all these guys thrive in their roles uh, is another testament to Jokic um and jamal murray right his passing so what are your what are your thoughts on Jokic? do you think that if they win let's say next game which likely they will and he puts up the same kind of stats like 28 12 and 10 something like that do you think this puts him in a new conversation the way we talk about Jokic or is this, Hey, we've seen this. It's just now validated with the finals win. Yeah. So I was thinking back to what is the transition to the nuggets? And I was thinking this is the first offense that can beat the zone in the way that a zone should be beaten and why NBA teams don't play zone because NBA players are too skilled, but what do the Bucks, Knicks, and Celtics have in common? They all have they get really gummy in the half court and don't have a way to like share the ball and get good looks, which is uniquely why the what the Nuggets are absolutely phenomenal at. And it starts with Jokic. I mean, dude, you cannot say that it doesn't put him in the conversation because everything about basketball discourse is measured by one thing at the end of the day, and it's rings and it's hardware. And if he didn't have that hardware, 
then yeah, it absolutely matters, right? Because that's the difference between Barkley and Malone and Dirk and KG, right? And that is literally the way you would split those four players at this point is who has a ring and who doesn't. Because in terms of being great power forwards, all four of them are probably in the same ballpark. And what's the one thing you're going to immediately point to, right? All four of them are MVPs. All four of them have had finals trips. Two of them have rings, two of them don't. And that's the way you would treat that, that argument. And so it absolutely matters that Jokic, if he gets one, assuming he, he wins the series, he would also get finals MVP. I don't think Murray's done quite enough to take him off that ledge. So, I mean, Jokic is 31, 14, and 8 right now. So 66% true shooting percentage. So all that to be said, like, it will we, – we've come a long way from Nick Wright proclaiming your boy Nick Wright proclaiming that he is the worst MVP of the last 35 years to this version which is now being talked about I heard it on pod today with Austin Rivers who apparently has a podcast uh, FYI if you didn't know he said that Jokic has a chance to go down as the best center of all time and I've heard that on another show etc and I don't know that I would go that far just given the guys above him and the collection of you know trophies they've won but if you're suddenly putting him in that conversation, it is night and day from where we were. Uh, even just last year, when as a six seed, despite everyone ignoring that his backcourt was Facundo Campazzo and Monty Morris, you know, they were like, oh, round one loss, fraud. And so we've come uh, worlds away from that. I don't think people are calling him a fraud after round one loss. I mean, there's always I a I think they were. They absolutely were. No, I, I think he, he got – no one took that those losses seriously. Um, are you sure? Because yeah, a lot I think, of people I think it's like, just Wait. one pocket of Twitter, the Embiid fans who are going to call that out. I don't think anyone was looking at that round one loss and being like, he's a fraud. But you don't think people are looking at like, hey, this guy hasn't had real playoff success? No, no, there's, a- there's a difference between saying he's a fraud and he's fallen apart in the playoffs and we still haven't seen him win yet, right? There's a difference between the two. One is saying he's actually failed and the other is saying he hasn't failed, but we also haven't seen him succeed. Well... We're seeing him succeed in a big way right now, and that absolutely yeah. changes and, his career trajectory. And I think what's most impressive is he has not – every star, right, up until they're 27, 28, have had a postseason where they've underperformed or underdelivered. Every single one. Giannis, LeBron, um, KD, Steph. Giannis is underdelivered in every playoffs except one. But yeah. we won't go to that argument yet. I, hey, hey, I'm willing to have that argument. You know where we I stand. We won't go there yet. We'll let, we'll let the Giannis but, hate breathe a little bit. But I think what's impressive about Jokic is he's only overperformed or performed as expected so far. Personally, his own stats, I think he's always overperformed. But even team success, he has not had a letdown. And when we they finally put a healthy, a really well-rounded team around him this year, they're going to win the championship. So I, yeah. I'm like, this is not just a one year thing. This is no. seems like they'll be the favorites next year. They'll be the favorites, and at least for the next I mean, two or three years, right? They've got Aaron Gordon under contract for um, a couple more years, I think. I think everyone's locked for two more e- years at least, except for Bruce Brown. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. But I meant in like the starting lineup, the core. Yeah, yeah. you know, the, and so and and other guys are replaceable, right? Like even Jeff Green's Pope, like. You can replace those guys. I think the core is locked in. So this this could be the start of an epic run. Like if he wins two titles, and he's got two, he could win three MVPs. That all of a sudden puts him in a rarefied air, like top ten. Yeah. I want to get to the legacy stuff, and I want to get to the big yeah. picture stuff. Let's let. I, but let, let's yeah. Let's we, talk first about the actual 
what they're doing. So the number one thing to me, like you mentioned, Jokic, just his the way he's able to control the flow. Like Jamal Murray, he is never, you know, everyone knows this now. He's not been an all-star. There's a lot of reasons for that. One is he's like absolute gangbusters in the playoffs, and he doesn't necessarily play this way all the time in the regular season. But if you took those two guys aside, like, did you expect Aaron Gordon to reach this level of play? Like when you watched him in Orlando, I mean, he's been a great fit in Denver, but like to to score like 27 when those two guys are struggling in foul trouble, can't hit shots like in game four for Bruce Brown, even with Porter Jr. who can't hit the broadside of a barn in the series, shooting 29% from the field, 13% from three, like they've been able to pick up, you know, even KCP has been 28% from three. So like, they haven't had an amazing game start to finish the way they can deliver. How impressed are you with the fact that they're still up 3-1 and have three double-digit wins to boot? I've been extremely impressed for the sole reason that Michael Porter Jr. has not had a great series and has struggled. And that was your third kind of banana. And I think everyone was comfortable with Aaron Gordon being that fourth spot. Um, and Aaron Gordon, I mean, he's... I've always liked him as a player, and he always seemed like a guy. If he's your third or fourth best player, you're fine. The moment he's your second or maybe you know third, you're you're asking for a lot. I think where I lost hope though was I didn't this 27 point game. The way he's able to attack mismatches now, um, the fluidity he has with Jokic and Murray, I did not see that as and, and being able to do that in the, the biggest stage. He's surpassed my expectations. I think he's played great. Um, and his defense, we've always he's been a good defender for a while now, but to go through LeBron, to go through um uh Durant, he's had some great matchups or tough matchups in this postseason, and now he's got Jimmy yeah. Butler and you know, not all the time, but um I think for for the Nuggets for him to really shine like he has when Porter has not. That is huge, man. Because MPJ, he's going to be fine. He's still young. And now you've got a solid four guys who you can really rely on night in and night out. And like you said, like the KCPs of the world, and like all those guys are replaceable. So I think Aaron Gordon's really been good this series. And um, and that you want him to do that. Like when you have a matchup where your team's playing small, you have to be able to punish them. And I think that's what Gordon's been, been able to do in a lot of the games. And the biggest thing for me is like the Jokic, non-Jokic minutes are always the question anytime the Nuggets take the floor, right? Because they're amazing when he plays and traditionally have been terrible when he sits. And they've even done a lot to stagger that, right? Like in the regular season, they had Jamal Murray and Aaron Gordon on the second unit with the backups. It still never really was clicking. And now in the playoffs, because of the way Christian Brown's played, even Jeff Green has hit open shots. Like they've been way better uh, in the non-Jokic minutes. And I think a lot of that has to do, obviously, with Murray's brilliance. But then also Gordon, who, you know, was seen as, like, somewhat of a... People kind of mocked him, right? Because they were like, oh, all this guy cares about is this stupid dunk contest that he was robbed with. Like, is this guy care about basketball in that same way? Does he want it? He changed his number to 50 because he was still mad about the dunk contest score. Stuff like that it was, like, a little bit cheesy. And, like you said, Durant, LeBron, I mean, he guarded Cat round one, and now Jimmy Butler. That is a quartet to write home about, right? Like you, you you think about like the way they've been able to, and by the way, all four of those guys, none of them shot the ball particularly well or overpowered offensively. And a lot of that was due to Gordon. Um, so couldn't be, couldn't be more impressed with him as well as the role players, you know, Michael Porter jr. It's weird because he's on a max deal and he's like, 
there's nights where he just sucks. And I, it's like one of the worst contracts in the NBA, but it hasn't mattered because of how good the others are. And it's going to be really interesting to me, like like you talked about, like this core is ready to roll and I want to talk about that. But it's such a weird position because at his best, he's an unguardable offensive player in a lot of ways who needs a guy like Jokic or Murray to create for him. But when he when he shoots at 6'11", like he doesn't see anybody, right? But when he's not making shots and also not giving you a ton in other parts of the game, he brings it's up, a right? weird... Yeah, and he's getting benched down the stretch, rightfully so, for Bruce Brown. And so it's a strange dichotomy of like this young dude, like you said, who's making $35 million a year. You don't really know what you're getting night tonight. And no playmaking. And I think in this kind of offense, um, the beauty of Bruce Brown, the beauty of Aaron Gordon is these guys are pretty good, solid passers, not amazing passers, on top of the fact that you have two amazing passers in Jokic and Murray. And MPJ really doesn't fit the mold of their team compared to a lot of the other guys because he is very one-dimensional for a guy who's supposed mm-hmm. to be your third best player. And he's made str- – I think the reason it's it's not as um, – doesn't look as bad as it does right now is before this year, his defense was atrocious. He got better defensively, more consistent. Um, he's been able to stay on the floor more because of that. And I think – this series, he's fallen apart a little bit, both offensively and defensively. But knowing that Aaron Gordon has been this good for you, if those guys toggle as your third best player, I think you're still in a very good position. Um, you just hope that, you know, Michael Porter Jr. is what, 22? 24. 24. Sorry. Oh, he's older than I thought. Um, but he's still young, and I think he, he's got time to figure it out. Um, 24 about to turn 25 yeah yeah so i don't look at this series and some of the recent games as kind of an alarm alarm bells for michael porter jr but i think it's good that they have the benefit of relying on gordon and just the cast of characters night in night out so they don't need him to be amazing yeah i mean look for his career he's 42 percent from three and that's now on a decent amount of volume where you can count on that reliably 51 percent from the field so he's basically like elite efficiency and maybe this is just a four-game slump. But granted, he didn't play very well against the Lakers, too. So now been like 10 games. And he hasn't really played all well, well all playoffs, candidly. Like, if you look at his splits in the playoffs, it's 42% from the field, 36% from three, you know, 13 points a game. So kind of giving you, like, I don't know, Malcolm Brogdon games or something, <laughs> like, like generally speaking. So it's a weird – like I said, it's weird. But, like, he is young, and it's a luxury to have him at this point, right? You yep. wouldn't necessarily – it's the – like, if the Wizards had Michael Porter Jr. on this contract, we'd be, like, busting our heads into the wall. But because you can mask him so efficiently and it doesn't hurt your overall performance because of how high your floor is, it's a luxury to have. And tomorrow night, if he goes six for nine from three, we're going to be like, oh, yeah, there's Michael Porter Jr. This team is completely unstoppable. And just the fact that he can shoot over everyone, the size, it's... He'll have bad games, he'll have good games, but he can always get his shot, right? It's one of the reasons Durant's so great. And when you have that kind of length, um, you'll have your your hot and cold nights, but when the shooting's on, it's hard to stop. Yeah. So you mentioned, um, could the Nuggets build from this, right? So I think we're sort of talking, and if there's a 3-1 comeback, we're going to look like morons, but... We're basically talking like the Nuggets have this title in the bag, whether that's five, whether that's six, hell, even if it's at seven, 
I got to say the probability of the Nuggets losing is probably like 2%, if anything, like this whole series. So let's assume that they win the title. This has been an interesting road for them, right? You, you go back to 2020 in the bubble. They they probably overachieved given that the Clippers absolutely collapsed, playoff P, the whole deal, blew the 3-1 lead. So what we were promised the Clippers-Lakers series, which would have been amazing the first year it delivers, you know, after PG, Kawhi, and Anthony Davis all come to town, ends up being the Nuggets. LeBron and AD dispatched them pretty quickly, right? Five games. And it felt like the Nuggets were a little early, but they were clearly incredibly talented. That's when we saw Bubble Murray, et cetera. The next year is where this gets really interesting because when you think about the long-term like outlook of the Nuggets, and I heard something recently on either sports, some sports show or podcast, they were talking about, can the Nuggets be the next Warriors? I'm like, well, that's <laughs> high bar. Uh, certainly helps with the continuity that they have. It's similar to what the Warriors had, but the Warriors went to six finals in eight years and had four titles. So even if you have that, right, you say two titles, four finals appearances, or three finals appearances, right? Could they do that? Problem is, and I, th- I think they definitely can, but the problem is this. They lost, I think, two years of contention that would have been the same ballpark. And if you look at the West now in hindsight, that Phoenix team was extremely flawed, the one that lost to the Bucks in the finals. The Warriors team was extremely flawed, the one that won the title. And those are two years where you could have potentially even gotten one if you didn't lose Jamal Murray and then Michael Porter for those playoff runs, right? So that's what kind of hurts because the following year after the bubble is when they made the Aaron Gordon trade midseason. And if you remember, they went like eight and one with him. And it was like, I think Zach Lowe even picked them to win the title that year. Or he did his like, I wouldn't be surprised if the Nuggets won the title. It's like, so all options are on the table. They, and then right after that, Jamal Murray tears his ACL. So he misses the 21 playoffs where they lose in round two. He misses the 22 playoffs along with Michael Porter where they lose in round one. And he's finally back. And what's the first thing they do with the healthy Jamal Murray? They just absolutely steamroll their way to the title. And so you wonder, yes, they have a runway to do this next year, a year after for sure. They're all still in their primes or entering their primes. But it does feel like they missed on maybe at least one more title uh, from these last two seasons, just given the way the league has been like, high degree of parity yeah you can look back at it and definitely one of these years they they could have made it but at the same time you can look at it from the next couple of years they actually are well positioned to even win two or three in a row because durant's getting aged out lebron's getting aged out curry and the warriors are getting aged out um who in the west is that daunting like moving forward uh, Memphis, Memphis Clip, is imploding. Memphis is imploding. The Clippers are also, you know, Kawhi's older and his injuries are. So I, I just, I, I think even though they may have lost golden opportunity in the last five years, I think the next three years they're going to have very little resistance, given they stay healthy, and Jamal Murray doesn't hurt himself again, and and Jokic, you know, God forbid, we've never seen Jokic injured, but if he misses substantial time, this team is totally different. So I think the team to watch out for is New Orleans. If uh, Zion gets back together with the one of the girls that said that she was keeping him in shape and not the one that was got the soda all over the house, got the soda cans all so called him out. Yeah. If she picks the right one to like get physically fit, then watch out, Jokic. You have no chance against my man Zion. Slim down, focus Zion. Yeah. So I mean, if that's the best team, and you know Sacramento, I love Sacramento. They're not. They're not. They can't beat Denver. Um, no, no iteration of them no. can. 
So I, I really think this, it's it's not worry. I think we forget that the Warriors have this huge dynasty, but it's because in the middle of it, they were like, let's go get Kevin Durant. Total without anomaly. that, it would have not been the same. Again. Yeah. Uh, I know they won after without Kevin Durant, but I still think that without Kevin Durant, they would have it would have been very different. I, I think they honestly split think... with the Cavs was my was my guess. I think Cavs win in seventeen, and then the Warriors win in eighteen. Probably. Um, I think two of the next three finals will have Denver in them, and one year something weird will happen, and yeah. they're good enough to win both of those That's... times. So we're, we're you know, I mean. I don't think you're wrong, but it's funny just because like you think back to all, like I was thinking about this, right? Like there was that stretch from like 83 to 2011 where there was only like five teams that won the title or something like that. Right. It was like Celtics, Lakers, Pistons, Bulls, Rockets, Spurs, Heat, something like seven teams. And since then we've seen the Mavs as one-time winners, right? We've seen the, um, the Raptors as one-time winners, the Bucks, now the Nuggets, like we've seen a lot more parity in the last 10, 15 years. And because a lot of that has to do with player movement, a lot of that has to do with talent in the league, et cetera. So while you say two of the next three years, you see the Nuggets being in the finals, while that is totally reasonable and well within the history of the league and how things shape, for me, just hearing that, I'm like, are they going to really stick together that long and be that good for that long? It just almost feels like too long. Even it's, though it's, it's completely... more rare. It's because it is more rare than you would think. Like, it's yeah. not it sounds easy on paper but that never happens i mean even the warriors remember when they first got durant we i remember we talked about like over under championships with durant being like three and a half yeah they got and two they got two and then it was done so yeah. I, I but i i just think i think that what people are not realizing is that the west they are seriously there's it's a huge inflection point right now and there's a bunch of new teams that are still finding their way. Memphis being one, Sacramento being one, OKC being one, but a lot of teams that are on their way out. And Denver's in this prime position of they have a star, Jokic, who plays every game, every minute, no load management. Um, and plays, he could get injured, but plays not in an above-the-rim way where he'll have those. Like the, I feel like the likelihood of him getting injured is a lot lower. Yeah. Um and you've got Jamal Murray. You've got a, a team and a coach and a coach with Mike Malone that this could be sustainable. Um, well, so- I was actually thinking about this when you just said load management reminded me. Jokic. One of the things that's interesting about the way he's being like thought of and discussed in today's NBA is he's one of the few guys that's beloved by both old school and new school era. And usually you would think a passing center shooting from the outside, et cetera, would typically be like, oh, I hate this. But he also plays back to the basket, right? He has the low pros brute force that touch all the old heads the love. Rim. He has a touch around the rim. He plays, right? He plays every night. He's durable as hell. He doesn't get hurt. He doesn't sit out. So it's all the things the old head loves. And then the new heads are like, this is the analytical darling of all analytical darklings. Like every single number is eye popping. You look at his on off numbers, his PER, his win shares. It's always number one across the board. So he's like the perfect made in the lab player to somehow appease to all generations. He's going to solve the polarity that we've seen in this country. Um, I was thinking about who the last guy was or who are other guys that fit this mold. I would say before the jump to the Warriors, Kevin Durant was seen like this, right? Because he's just a straight hooper who could play in any era. He can make shots. He does. He doesn't uh, flop. He doesn't do like LeBron. Like there's some things that people don't like about LeBron. Like 
the late game stuff, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Kevin Durant was seen as like the perfect old school guy because everyone just respected how pure his game was. And obviously new school, he's just a killer from all parts of the court. So that was to, to me like the one guy I drew a parallel from, again, the pre-Warriors era because the yeah, discourse like flew off the handle after that. But that's kind of where we're at with Jokic where his universal approval rating, I think from a basketball sense, is actually higher than Giannis because if you look at his game, offensively he has zero flaws and defensively while they do have some holes and rim protection wise and otherwise it hasn't hurt them um and so you can't really point to it as a an area of weakness because nobody's been able to expose it yet i think luca was kind of heading in that direction until recently because his play stock can be a little so grading yeah and he, he complains. complains right so i i but i think luca was in that camp those first couple of years he could do no wrong the Durant comp is great because that's exactly what a non-controversial personality, really good, didn't seem to have any haters until he went to the Warriors. Whereas a guy like LeBron, on the on the court, he's respected by everyone, but the personality and the way he goes about his business is different. So I I agree, but the the problem is um, the NBA. You know, like this guy should be the face of your league if he's this good. But he yeah, let's want talk to. about that. Let's uh-huh. talk about that. It, whose fault is it that he's not? Is that his fault? It's it's a combination. I think it's the NBA and it's him. Um, Reminds me of Mike Trout in baseball, where everyone's like, "This guy's the best player in the league. He's one of the best players of all time. Nobody cares about him. What the hell's going on? Why can't we promote him?" And it's like, well, it's baseball. That's your first problem. But two, um, he doesn't want it. He literally says nothing of interest. He says nothing all the time. He has no social media presence. I I don't know what to do. Like, what would you do? I guess you, you got to put the Nuggets on national TV way more than they are, which is the number one thing the league can control. But what else would you do? I still blame Jokic more than I blame the NBA because yeah, I do too. What is Giannis? Giannis is a foreign player who developed late, who plays uh, in a small market. But Giannis has become a because he's got the personality. He's mm-hmm. got the character. Um, he does the, you know, the. he's just bigger than life in a lot of ways. And that's what made him a star. Now he's a star. His shoe is a popular shoe. He's a, you know, a big face at Nike. So there's no reason why Jokic can't. I think the problem is his play style is not as, I mean, it is appealing to a basketball purist, but, but there's not the that dunks. be the case? Yeah, that's not the high-flying John Morant type basketball. Not the John Morant that gets kids like super excited. And then his personality like you mentioned, I think those are bigger reasons than the fact that Denver doesn't get on TV and, and all that. And I think it's just harder in the West because the West has been dominated by personalities like Steph, LeBron for the last four years, at least. Um, whereas I think the East it's been like for Giannis, it's a little easier to establish yourself because there haven't been as consistent teams. Um, yeah. And I also think Giannis is goofy. He, says funny things. He like does the whole deal. It's kind of like Embiid, right? Like Embiid braced, embraced being like that badass, like American shit talker. And so they promoted him more. I, like even Luca is more famous than, than Jokic uh, for a lot of reasons, because he's like, but, I, don't know, I guess maybe flashier player or something no, like not that. Even I, that. I think Luca came into the league with a lot of hype and then immediately yeah. lived up to it. I think the difference That's is true. Jokic. He was a slow kind of, trajectory right at least the first couple of years you're sharing the floor with um nurkic um you were not drafted high so Mason it's always Plumlee, different for yeah. those guys 
And we can't ignore, like, a lot of this has to do with their own fans. Like, the Denver fan base sucks, respectfully. Like, as far as the Nuggets are considered, that is the fourth team in the city. Yeah. The Broncos are clear, clear number one. Honestly, it's probably the Avalanche number two, then the Rockies, and then the Nuggets. They're not even on damn freaking TV uh, for most of the people in that area. So when you say, like, a lot of this has to do with your own fan base, why do you think the Lakers are talked about all the time or the Cowboys are talked about all the time? Because they have the most fans. And their fans will shut up. So their fans watch. Yeah, exactly. We hate their fans, but they have the most, and therefore they generate the most eyeballs, the most clicks, whatever. And so if your fan base is not even propping up your guy or really talking him up the way he deserves to be, then it's hard for the national media to pay much attention because, you know, half of these guys are lazy. Half of them have too much to do. So they kind of have to pick and choose where to spend their time. And it's a lot more fun and gets a lot more energy to say, you know, is LeBron going to be the GOAT if he wins the next ring? Or is this LeBron's last year in L.A.? Or, you know, should they trade Anthony Davis? And what should the package be? That just is going to get more than like, what can the Heat do to stop Jokic Murray two man game out of the pick and roll? <laughs> like, you know, so. So, anyway, so if I said over under total Nuggets titles, see, this problem is like two and a half is too high, one and a half is too low. But how about one and a half? Just because it is hard to win a second one. And I'm, I'm not including this one, by the way. I'd still say under. Um, you just said they're going to be in two of the next three finals. Yeah, they'll be in two, and they could lose one, right? I no, no, no. So I'm not including this one. So this would be one, and then you need to win one more. Oh, they'll oh they'll win one more. So you're saying okay, over point yeah. five over under from now on after after this year, right? Over under point five over slam the over. But then one and a half, I'm going under. Yeah, I'm going under. I think they'll win so one. That's more. the thing. Because it's it's really it's hard, man. Hard because like you, like they get to the finals two out of the next three years is my prediction. Um, you run into Giannis and a reloaded maybe the Bucks somehow reload and much better, and you lose that one to the Bucks. You win another one, and then one year you have an injury and you, you don't even get to the finals. That to me is the most likely scenario. But I I do think they're going to win one more title. Well, yeah, I mean, who knows what all these teams are going to do? Like the off season, the craziness is just beginning. Yeah, I think things change too much. Of, I agree, yeah. but I like, I you just these feel rumors like where like they're like Phoenix is trying to figure out a way to get Dame. <laughs> I don't know like, how. Like, like what? They just traded everything for for. Uh, it's like Dame and Harden are the two targets for the Suns right now. Well, Harden could possibly happen. Um, I yeah I. I guess they would have to do a three-team trade where Aiton goes somewhere, something goes to Philadelphia, and then they get Harden. Yeah, Dame's a lot trickier. Chris Paul, I guess, would have to be involved. But why would Philly... I guess if Harden's like, I'm just going to walk and sign with Houston, or you can sign and trade me for Chris Paul so you at least get something. I suppose they do th- that then at that point. I think they'll work directly with Houston on a trade. But You think Damian Lillard goes somewhere? Are we finally going to get the end of the loyalty? He's had more quotes about this where, you know, he's always like, do you see that uh, about him talking about, oh, well, for these teams, I'd want to play here. not want to play here. He he said Miami. He's like, I want to. He said, Bam's my dog. But then he was like, I also would like to play in Brooklyn because Mikel's my dog. But then he'll be like, but Portland's still where I want to be. Don't don't say that I'm not loyal. 
we get the B ver- B list version of those quotes through Bradley Beal, uh, <laughs> where he's like, "I just want to win. I want to be competitive, and I think I can do it here. And if I can't, then I have to realize it's literally the same playbook, except we are all desperate for him to realize he can't do it here. <laughs> yeah, Whereas in Portland, they they I want think it. The Portland fans want him to stay. Yeah. So, who do you think? Um, so, I guess. Uh, sorry, let's finish up on the finals, then we can quickly talk about other non-final stuff. So I guess like the the only thing I was I was gonna say, like, is there any chance for Miami? Max Truce is shooting 20%, by the way, on open three pointers, which is really horrific. But is there any chance for Miami tomorrow night, you think? I think there definitely is a chance. Absolutely. Um they've they've been in some of these games. I they uh so last uh, game four last night or the night before, they closed it to six in the fourth, eighty nine eighty three. Felt like Denver's getting a little tight. I they and then game one they had some opportunities. They've been there are moments. There's inflection points in the game in which it looked like they could possibly seize momentum and and take the lead. The problem is Denver is just you can't keep that offense down that consistently. But um, we know Miami's a hot. A, a team that can get hot from three. And so absolutely, if they're, they get a bunch of guys to contribute, they slow down Jamal Murray, Gordon a little bit. They can take one. Actually, let me put a prediction. I'm going to say they take game five. Wow. It's over. I'm sorry to say, <laughs> um, I don't even know what you just said. They need to do. It's over. The nuggets. They don't want to fly back across the country. They're going to take a page out of the 2016 Cavs book where they like win it out west and go to Vegas because it's a shorter flight. That's what I'm predicting happens. Nuggets win rather convincingly, I think. Here's the thing. Two of the five players in the Nuggets starting lineup still haven't played well. What if they just play well one game? And Casey Pepe play well in game four. That's not fair. But like these guys haven't even really hit all cylinders yet. I think they go for the jugular and... Miami's going to put up a good fight early and it's going to wear them down late because they're just, there's only so many bam, like 10 foot jumpers we can watch in a row without it, you know, eventually catching up to them. So I'm not confident in Miami winning this next game. I'm just going to say, I'll, I'll put it this way. I'll stick by my stick original, with it. I'll stick my original prediction of nuggets and six. That was my original prediction. I'll stick with it. Um, I mean, the reality is, if you look at it, Denver's been playing like they have been in the regular season. Second best offense in the NBA. They have not outperformed or really underperformed. Miami's severely underperformed by all metrics. And out of the regular season of their postseason. Their postseason. They're, they're no, the no, worst com- offense com- in the NBA or in the regular season. Com- fine, compared to their postseason, right? But let's right. Just say that their postseason version is more close to what they actually are because regular season had injuries and this and that. Um, so I think if there's any regression going to happen, like, yeah, of course, Denver can have a sh- hot shooting game for some of those guys who have not been playing well. I think that's more likely to happen from Miami. Um, and, yeah, I ugh, I don't know. It's hard to make an argument. I feel like when you watch this Miami team, you definitely cannot count anything out till they're, it's truly over. So I get it. I'm being overly, like, confident. I just... 
like I said at the top, I don't know what else they can try. I feel like they've tried everything, um, and they don't really have any other players to go to unless Hero comes back. So if he's I, playing, and I don't know, what are we going to count on him? He literally hasn't played since game one of the playoffs. Yeah, you can't. You can't. April 15th, he last played. You can't bring a guy back like that in an elimination game. It's yeah. too risky. I, this series feels a lot like, um, it's been mentioned before, the 2014 Heat Spurs. Uh, where the Heat won. It was 1-1, but every game after that that the Spurs won, it was just like the Heat had nothing. Wade was not the same. Um, They could not stop the Spurs' offense. It was like the same Mm -hmm. problems every single game. And I feel like it's the same thing here. Like, Jokic isn't going to all of a sudden fall off. Jamal Murray has had bad games in the series, or he had one at least game four, right? Five for 17. Um. And it hasn't mattered. So it's like, I, I just feel like what I said at the top, Miami has tried everything. They've played different lineups. They've tried isolating different guys on Denver to, to target defensively. And, and none of it's worked. So at this point, why would you think it's going to work? I'm just saying it. they still have one hot shooting game that we haven't seen yet from Struess, Vincent, Martin. And, and Denver's not a team that Denver's solid defensively but they're not some juggernaut defensively that i think yeah they can get exposed on that they've actually been playing way better than i thought they would defensively maybe some of that's been aided by miami missing shots but denver certainly i feel like they active hands Jokic deflected like six balls like kcp stripping butler aaron gordon like they're playing really really well defensively i think they smell blood though but in the first few yeah in the first few games miami got a lot of open looks um, and yeah. shot really poorly on wide open shots, and so those and, closed up in game four. And and yeah, those did close up in game four. So Denver's kind of fixed that. You but you were at high T. You don't know what happened in game four. It was totally closed up. That was the one where I watched the fourth quarter, lying in my <laughs> bed. But that's true. Um. So lastly, first take topic here. Murray and Jokic, best duo in the league now. Uh, no, I, I think bet they might be the best because they play so well together and off each other. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, like Durant Booker from a talent standpoint, I'd still say maybe them. They basically don't even count as a duo. They just happen to be wearing the same jerseys. Well, that's what I'm saying, right? Like, but yeah, technically the two best players on a team, I would still go Durant Booker, but. Yeah, they're up there. It's Durant Booker, Jokic, Murray, Tatum Brown, um, Davis, LeBron. Still, I think Fox Sabonis. Yeah, Kawhi, PG if they're healthy. Peel, Beal, Porzingis, <laughs> Kuzma, Monty Morris. <laughs> um, you know, one of my uh, one of my um, to dos for the flight is. Uh, the new top sixty, oh. which is going to be in, which is going to be unveiled upon conclusion of the finals. So we'll see if that's t- uh, tomorrow or if that's Thursday or whenever. Jamal Murray is easily going to be the highest ranked player that I've ever had that has not made an All Star team. That's like he is in the top twenty. I'm still not sure if he's the best player ever to not be. He might be. He I still be the think Mike Bibby has. He, he may not be the best ever, but I'm saying, like, obviously I was not ranking players in 2001 when Bibby was gracing those lists. 
so since I've been doing it over the last, I call it seven years, but we met in 2015. So since 2015, yeah, yeah. I was probably doing it even before that. So since then, he's got to be the highest ranked player I've ever had that hasn't made an all-star team. So maybe that's just due to injury and he's going to make one next year, but it's very strange. Like this version of him is just, a, just ungodly like skill. He hits every backbreaking shot and it's not like he doesn't do it in the regular season. It just happens way less often. Way le- maybe it's just a minutes well, thing. Well, last know, couple but... seasons, the injury coming back from the injury, um, it takes time to get fully back. And I think now he's fully back. And and I think hey, once again, this is validation for the bubble. Everything that's been happening is validating the bubble. I'm gonna say something crazy. You ready for it? Oh God. What is it? I think this run by Jamal Murray is as good as any Curry run in his career beyond last season in the playoffs. No, 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 no. Come on, man. I think there's no that's way that's how good true. he's been. Last year aside, which I'll give Curry as like a superhuman performance, including several like just knockout games, including game four versus Boston. I think this is, and I gotta, I gotta look to make sure I'm not a complete idiot, but well, I, I'm gonna put this up there. Here's why you might be right about that because uh, he, I think he had some good years with Durant, but the burden wasn't as high, right? So you can start to argue that Murray's seasons, postseasons were more impressive, even though I'm sure if you look at 2017, 2018, he's probably had some. Even though His I know Durant won the finals MVP, by the way. huh? Yeah. His numbers were comparable to what Murray's doing this year. Shooting. Yeah, but you got to normalize that somewhat, right? Like the the just happened. What do you mean normalize it? It's not like this is like 1990s. No, but the offensive outputs even in the last like 5 years has dramatically changed. Yeah. Well, I think Murray's been that good and he's been that much of a like he and Jokic, you know, Jokic is always effervescent in praise, but he talks about how, like, he's the head of the snake. They go as he goes. And while that is a little bit of Jokic just being a good teammate, a lot of it is true in that Jokic is – he is what he is. Like you said, 28, 12, 10, whatever. Like, we take it for granted, but that's just, like, what he's going to give you. And it's what Murray can do around it that elevates this team from good, not great, to, like, championship. And so I think that's why he's so important to what they're trying to do. Um, and in and you know in the limited games I did see when I was in London, like Game Four when Jokic was out, Murray played well. Like they they survived those non Jokic minutes, and he he yeah. steadied the offense. Like though, like that tells you everything. It's like in those moments where you realize he is legit. He may never be a number one option on the team, but as a two. Yeah, and the fact that he can go get 12 assists because they're doubling him, they're blitzing him on every pick and roll, they're like aggressively guarding him. He wasn't yep. going to shoot 25 times like, like a Trey Young would or something, right? He was just like, let me go get people involved. Let me give the ball up. Let me not make a selfish play. And I think that's – you can't teach that. That is – I don't know if that's just like now um, osmosis being around Jokic and everyone plays that way, if that's Mike Malone or if that's whatever. But like they all play such – unselfish like beautiful basketball it's it's really really fun to watch it's fun to watch fun to root for this is the first time we've had a team without anyone polarizing um Giannis and the Bucks fine but even Giannis I you know he had a lot of people kind of frustrated with him like like me uh 
the Suns, you know, well, they didn't win, but like all these teams that have been in contention the last several years, they all have their fair share of doubters, their haters, their weaknesses. This is the first team that feels very pure. So it'll yeah. be interesting, like if they do win another title, like let's say they win this year, they win another one next year. What you know, the the narrative always starts. At, you become the villain at some point. So I'll be curious to see how that well, happens. Here's the good news. Hmm? Here's the good news. The last three titles, assuming the Nuggets win, or even if Miami pulls off the upset, actually no, not Miami because they wouldn't really qualify. But the Nuggets, last year's Warriors, and the year before Bucks are all homegrown talent. Um, and so that could set the precedent for away from this just like short-term fixes, patching together superstar teams, like actually building through the draft, building through like years of like trying to get over the mountain. Um, so who is next up in that, right? Is it Philadelphia? Is it a Boston team? Well, who's certainly home. Memphis, if Jaw gets his act together, Mem- Memphis could very well be. Yeah, Memphis is a great example of that. Or, OKC, um, yeah. OKC is a little too early to make those kinds of proclamations, but they yes. were going to be like they're my next kind of idea of who that could be, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. Before we go, so we are going to be back before the draft, uh, which is, I believe, next Thursday, the twenty second. Let me just check that. Um. So we'll talk about draft. We'll talk about free agency, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. June 23rd. Okay, great. Before we do that, any predictions from you on one big name? Just right now, as we stand, we're too early. One big name you see playing in a different team next season at the start of the year. Last year, you picked Donovan Mitchell. You were right. I'm going to say Dame. Dame is finally going. There's too much smoke around it. And they've got a good pick to package. Um, or sorry. sorry huh? Yeah. I mean, they, 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 they are trying to, here's the thing. They're, they're saying they're trying to keep him and trade Simons in number three. I just don't know how much they'll get for that. Yeah. I actually think, uh, yeah, I'm going to take it, but the bold take is going to be Dame. Dame gets moved. I think Dame stays. I think they're going to give it one last shot and they're stupid for doing it, but that's just what they want. That's fine. I think they do move Simons, Nurkic, and number three. For Jalen Brown or something? Bradley Beal. I don't know if they'll trade for Beal or not because he has to waive his no trade clause and who knows if he wants to go to Portland, but... I think Beal is my pick. I think this is the year. Michael Winger, he's going to blow it up. New president of basketball ops from Monumental Sports. New GM, Will Dawkins from from the Thunder, who know a thing or two about resetting the clock. And they know how futile this exercise was to build around a big three of Beal, Porzingis, and Kuzma. I think Beal is going to go. Um, right now, I'm predicting either Miami or Philadelphia. Who is your player to pick? Beal, that's what I'm saying. Oh, Beal, Beal. Okay. I think uh, another uh, one Dart. that's possible is Cat. Yeah, so I was going to say Cat. There's reports that they may trade him as soon as the next few weeks. Um, so that leads me to my dark horse. I think Trey Young. I mean, that's not that 
It's not that dark. But I, I don't think he'll get moved just because Quinn Snyder, new coach, yeah. they, they, their offense is clicking a lot more towards the end of the season than, you know, you talk yourself in the fact that they beat the Miami and they, they played competitively in some of those games against Boston. They'll talk themselves into it. He's not getting moved. Initially, my potential dark horse was going to be LaMelo, which would be kind of crazy because he hadn't even hit his rookie extension. But it looks like they're going to draft Brandon Miller, which means they're going to keep LaMelo for sure. If they're going to draft Scoot, then maybe you think about moving him. They're actually going to re-sign Miles Bridges too, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, He was working out in Hornets gear. Like I think he's coming back. It's going to be very awkward and weird. How many games of his like weird suspension has he already served? I don't know. It's like actually. a 30-game suspension where he's already served like 20. 20-something. 20 or something. Yeah. yeah. So he's not even going to be gone that long. I think they bring him back. They have Brandon Miller. They keep Rogier. They're going to still suck, but LaMelo was going to be my guy, if, if not for the reports that they're not taking uh, Scoot. Other team I could see, Toronto. Yeah. Maybe they're hitting a hard reset. Maybe not. Now that Nurse is gone, they could uh, – uh, OG Ananobi can fetch a lot. Even Siakam, if they want to get bold. The yeah, Kings, I mean, look, the Kings would be know. a willing trade partner in one of those. We've been talking about Siakam or OG to the Kings for a while. Yeah. Uh, so We'll see. I, I will say this is the first draft that I, it's been the most stress-free draft. Except for the years where the Kings did not have a pick because they gave it up in some trade. Mm-hmm. This has been uh, stress-free. I like it. All right. Well, we'll see what the next uh, four to six weeks brings, but more importantly, the next one week uh, to crown an NBA champion. So game five is tomorrow night. Uh, will it be over or will Miami find one last, uh, you know, f- f- uh, engine to kind of keep this run going? So anyway, Thank you for listening. Uh, please review, rate, review, and subscribe to Thick and Thin Hoops on all major podcast platforms. Please follow us on social media. We will talk to you next week. Bye.